The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, well, come on. You know you're in the right place. We always say it. We always believe it. And it's always true. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I found a quote from Frank Friedman, the current CEO and former CFO at Deloitte. Yes, CFO, and this is Financial Excellence, Connect the Dots. Here's the quote. In the few years since I began using analytics, the view that it might be just a fad has shifted to a growing understanding of its potential. Okay, so we've introduced the concept of analytics and potential. Let's talk. Digital transformation is deluging, deluging the office of the CFO with what? Of course, information, data, data sources, and instant actuals are replacing quarterly, periodic, whenever we get them, it'll be fine attitude. How can your CFO harness this data? How can your CFO adopt what we call dynamic planning? And most important of all, how can your CFO guide the business beyond just the numbers? I know they think that's what they were hired for. Well, once upon a time it was, but it's a lot more than that. The answer, three parts, analytics, BI, and visualization. What does it all mean? What do you do with this information? How fast does your CFO need to take action and start transforming? We have a panel of experts to help you figure it out. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Shout out to Chris Grundy at SAP for bringing us this great topic. And our panel, let me tell you who's on today. In a moment, I'll be introducing you to Rob Jenkins, Global Finance Technology Leader at SAP. Joining him on the panel are Patrick, he's going to let me call him Pat, Pat Hickey, a partner at Jump Analytics, and we'll find out what they do, and David Denboer, founder of Column 5 Consulting, and David will also tell us what his company does. So let's go back around the table to Mr. Rob Jenkins, who has been on with me before. And Rob has introduced me to somebody I never heard of named George E.P. Box, B-O-X. Let me tell you who. George Edward Pelham Box, it has the initials F-R-S after his name, 1919 to 2013, was a British statistician who worked in the areas of quality control, time series analysis, design of experiments, and Bayesian inference. All Greek to me, but he's been called one of the great statistical minds of the 20th century. He taught as a visiting professor. I just moved to Durham. He taught at North Carolina State University at Raleigh, now North Carolina State. He went to Princeton. He went to University of Wisconsin-Madison, and he wrote a lot of books. Very interesting guy. Here's the quote. All models are wrong, but some are useful Rob Jenkins, tell me what this all means. How are you, Rob? Hello, Bonnie. Well, we all want our models to be as accurate as possible, obviously, but uh, no model's perfect. Models are simplifications, of course. Now, some models are really wrong, 
And we know about uh, famous hedge funds uh, shutting down and, of course, in the corporate world, sales forecasts missing by a mile. So uh, George said it right when he said the model needs to be useful, understanding the system dynamics and helping the decision maker. Uh, In terms of a budget, in the corporate world, uh, hopefully it reflects and communicates strategy and shapes behavior. So we have to admit it, our models are wrong, but we need them to be useful. Interesting. So how do you get to the point where you say, well, well, Bob or Mary, we know the model's wrong, but damn it, it still has usefulness in our department without having them, I don't know, lock you up or stop talking to you. How do you make that decision, that value judgment, if you will, Rob, that there's still usefulness in a wrong model? Give me, give me some clues here. Well, you know, you have to iterate and continue to improve the budget and the forecast, uh, frequent updating. And, of course, one of the key values of the model is to really help you understand the system dynamics and how they change. And then really to drive decisions rapidly and effectively from them. But also think in terms of T&E. The budget does shape your behavior. The budget, hopefully, is a reflection and does communicate strategy. So the model's not going to be perfect, but it, it does have a true communication purpose, indeed. Okay, thank you very much for that optimistic approach. We'll be talking to you a lot more in a moment. Thank you, Rob, and welcome back. Now let me turn my focus to Pat Hickey, a partner at Jump Analytics. And Pat has sent something. Pat, I just tweeted out a pop quiz for our uh-huh. listeners saying, do you know which famous poet's quote, which famous quote, poet's famous words are tattooed on the forearm of tennis great Stan Vavrinka. I haven't gotten any answers yet. I'm looking here at Twitter, hashtag SAP Radio. No one has answered me, damn it, but let me read the quote you selected, and then I'll let you tell us who it's from, because I usually give the name of the source, but you're going to tell us. So, tattooed on the forearm of Mr. Vavrinka, and I have a picture of it, and by the way, um, he was not doing too well, and he used this quote, and he started to win again. So here is the quote, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. Well, Vavrinka had faltered 14 times in a row against champion Novak Djokovic. He tried again on Tuesday night, January 23rd, 2014, and he failed superbly by not failing at all. I love that story. Did you know that, Pat, that that was the day uh, I, he, you, yeah? I, I, I certainly did. And uh, I think it, in 2014, from what I recall, was one of the best tennis matches played that year. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, very familiar with that. I'm glad. I have the picture to prove it. Now, tell, tell us, give us the news. Who was the source of that wonderful quote? Pat? Well, yeah, well, well the, I'll, I'll break up the writer from the source, Bonnie, because for me, the source, quite frankly, was Stan Varink. And to be honest, I had to Google up uh, Samuel Beckett as the, uh, the writer, the great uh, Irish poet, as the, uh, the writer behind, uh, behind the words. Yep, and it was. So let me read a little background here. Samuel Barclay Beckett, 1906 to 1989, Irish avant-garde novelist, playwright, theater director, poet, lived in Paris, and he wrote in both English and French. His work offers a bleak, tragicomic outlook on human existence, often coupled with gallows humor, black comedy, and minimalist. Oh, my. He's considered one of the last modernist writers and one of the key figures in what Martin Eslin called the theater of the absurd. Yes, I studied that in French literature. 
literature, actually. He was awarded the 1969 Nobel Prize in Literature for his writing, which, in new forms for the novel and drama, in the destruction of modern man acquires its elevation. Very interesting. So that's a long quote to have tattooed on your arm, don't you think, Pat? <laughs> Absolutely, it is, and um, but I think it's uh, I think it's a really it's a really good quote, and um, you know Stan uh, Stan Wawrinka, he's an interesting uh, guy, and uh, he's a fellow as as you mentioned, Bonnie. I mean, he really didn't hit his stride till he was almost thirty, which is ancient, you know, in tennis uh, oh, tennis yeah. terms, and um, you know Stan really embraced the philosophy of. Um, uh, taking his failures and taking his disappointments and uh, really parlaying them into a learning opportunity so that he could become a better tennis player. And it took a bit of time for him, but, uh, but it did uh, eventually uh, click in. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's kind of a special quote because, um, you know, I'm not sure about my co-panelists here, but uh, personally, I've always learned more from, from my failures than I have from my successes. And, you know, I think the reality of, of, you know, what we do in business is that, you know, unless you are the Roger Federer or the Michael Jordan of, of business, uh, you tend to have um, as many, if not more, disappointments as you do successes. And, uh, you know, as long as you embrace those and all those experiences, the good and the bad, and learn from them and apply them to, to what you do in your career and with your, uh, with your customers in a better way, it's, uh, it's all okay. Thank you, Pat. I'm thinking there's a much shorter version that Beckett probably would not have reveled in or approved, but it's fail fast, fail often. I think that's, that's probably would have been a lot less painful for a tattoo, but I certainly appreciate how, how nice it looks on Vavrinka's arm and glad he found his stride literally and figuratively. Thank you, Pat. Nice to meet you. And let's turn to our third panelist. He is David Denboer, founder of Column 5 Consulting. Column 5 is one word. And he has picked a quote from the venerable Steve Jobs, we frequently get Jobs quotes, David, and this is a very, very good one, very telling. I'm going to read the quote. By the way, anybody who doesn't remember Steve Jobs, he lived from 1955 to October 5th, 2011. Strange coincidence, that was the day, October 5th, 2011, that we launched the first Game Changers radio show, and we found out about two hours later that Steve Jobs had passed. So I always remember the date of the first show. He was an American information, I'm sorry, information technology entrepreneur and inventor, co-founder, chair. Chairman, CEO of Apple Inc., CEO and majority shareholder of Pixar Animation Studios, a member of the Walt Disney Company's board of directors following the acquisition of Pixar, and founder, chair, and CEO of Next Incorporated, and hey, he changed the world. Here's the quote. It sounds logical to ask customers what they want and then give it to them, but they rarely wind up getting what they really want that way. Oh, my. David Denbor, how are you? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. We're delighted. Talk to me about this quote. How did you pick it, and how in the world does it relate to what we're talking about? Improved financial performance. Well, that's great. Uh, I think Steve Jobs' famous uh, personality was very strong for some, and one of the most challenging topics he talked about is how he related to customers. He, at the same time, was very customer-focused, but he also advocated not listening to them at, at key junctures, as other people did. Uh, he approached it in a very different way. And I think the key part of the quote here is what customers really want, which is not the same as what they're asking for. Customers usually ask for uh, solutions that are based on the status quo. They say, here's the status quo, plus maybe a change up or down in some features, do this a little bit differently. 
and they never really get a radical change that way. Looking at what Steve Jobs was able to accomplish, he took a touchscreen and a smartphone, things that already existed, and he arranged them in a different way that focused on a new level of interaction with customers that customers hadn't perceived of on their own. So he was able to connect with them much closer to help integrate into their lives and their desires in a way that they weren't able to articulate. I think the same thing exists in this technology. The technology already exists and is very capable, but the challenge is arranging it in such a way that it becomes very personal to users and very effective in changing their behavior, as Rob said earlier. This is something that is elusive for customers to articulate and explain exactly what their personal relationship with technology will be. And because of that oversight of looking at how people interact with the technology, they wind up failing to achieve exactly the outcomes that they seek at the beginning. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. And, uh, David, it's a pleasure to have you on. Let's circle around to Rob Jenkins, and we're going to get a little up close and personal with our panelists. Rob, I'm going to ask you where you're calling from and what's in your cup today. This is part of our coffee break uh, segment of the show. It doesn't have to be coffee. If you're drinking something that's really interesting and makes you happy, if not, forget about what's in the cup. Tell me what you'd rather be drinking, anything. Go ahead, Rob Jenkins. I am in Kansas City, and every morning I have four shots of Nespresso Roma with a little bit of coconut milk. Oh, my. Listen, I'm a, a Nespresso owner. My machine is red. What about yours? It is, uh, it is not. It is chrome. <laughs> okay. And I enjoy it, and my wife tells me it does small. Like It, it sounds like a small aircraft taking off every morning. Uh, it kind of does. It which kinda, is that we're a little me. bit quieter. Roma, I'm not familiar. What's the level? Is that a five, six, seven, eight, or nine? Is it calf or decaf? And and uh, what is it like? I've never heard of that one. It is calf. It is an eight, I believe. And uh, I have wow. tried many, 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 and I have uh, isolated it to be my favorite. Roma, R O M A. Well, I just ordered about eight packages, including their special uh, one-of-a-kind, order it now or it'll be gone, uh, fall specials. There was a Cuba yes. coffee and something else, and I have a drawer completely filled with Nespresso pods. But I will remember Roma because of you. Thank you, Rob. Rob and Roma, there we go. Patrick Hickey, I have three questions for you. Number one, where are you calling from in the world? Number two, what do you love to drink? And number three, tell us a little bit about Jump Analytics. Pat? Sure, Bonnie. Well, I'm calling from uh, Toronto, uh, up uh, just north of the 49th uh, parallel. And uh, I think, like Rob, um, I'm a fellow addict. So uh, so I'm actually staring <laughs> down at my uh, third cup of, hopefully, and last cup of, uh, of coffee uh, for the day right now. And um, give you a little bit of uh, flavor for Jump Analytics. Um, so we are uh, really laser beam focused in providing analytic solutions uh, for the office of the CFO. Um, so, uh, you know, we do, we do many things, but our, our focus and our expertise is really understanding the needs of, of what uh, the CFOs and finance executives need to, to better run their system, to, you know, move themselves away from being the, the bean counter and, and more to the business architect and uh, provide solutions and uh, consulting expertise to help them on that journey. Thank you very much. How did it get the name Jump Analytics? Where, where does the jump come from? Whose idea was that? <laughs> well, it's like, uh, it's like any great idea. It often starts in a bar. 
So there was a, a little bit of creativity. <laughs> well, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Pat, there's a cardinal rule in comedy. Don't step on your own laughs. Give me a chance here. That was a great comment. I don't know whether David and Rob are laughing, but you got me right. Okay, great ideas often come from a bar. Now you can continue. Go ahead. <laughs> well, well, really, that's it. So some, some good in- inspiration around the bar. And, uh, and uh, you know, we sort of decide to let that uh, sit with us uh, for a couple of days and uh, the sober uh, light of the following morning. And it's still, uh, still stuck. So, uh, so jump uh, analytics it is. I like that very much. Thanks for indulging my question, and thank you for the chortle. And now it's time for David Denboer at Column 5 Consulting. David, same three questions. Where are you calling from? What are you drinking? And tell us what Column 5 Consulting does, please. Sure. Calling from sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. And I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I'm drinking French roast coffee, uh, as I do every morning. Uh, It seems to require more and more to get going these days. (laughs) But about Column 5, we are a team that's very focused as well. We're focused on enterprise performance management, which is primarily on planning and consolidations uh, for the Office of the CFO, but also spanning operations and strategic planning as well. We believe in integrated platforms that really do help match what the customer is seeking, whether they are able to articulate it just yet or not. We build prepackaged content that helps make it a bit more tangible to have this discussion with CFOs, explain to them what's possible, show them the processes and, and how their team can evolve to better serve their partners across the business. So we have a lot of, a lot of great customers and interesting conversations around the world. And I'm very proud of our team's ability to move the needle for finance teams in particular. Thank you very much. I'm glad you're proud of your team. We're proud of your team for you as well. And our three guests are certainly astute on this topic. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about visualization, BI, and advanced analytics. We are going to translate all of that for you. The goal is to improve enterprise financial performance. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I am not allowed to have caffeine on radio show days, and my three panelists probably figured out why. I did sneak a little cup of something. I think it's an eight- and it is calf in between shows. I've already done another show this morning. Rob, don't tell anybody at SAP. So officially, I'm drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear glass from my cool, clear Brita filter. And I have a pink straw because the sky is absolutely magnificently blue today from the vantage point of my office in my new office residence in Durham, North Carolina. Been here five weeks, and I got to tell you, the view is spectacular. Spectacular. So I'm happy the pink straw is to welcome the sunshine and the beautiful fall day. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do a deep dive into our topic. What is all this? Is it mumbo jumbo? Or is there really a way to use all of these innovative technologies to improve your financial excellence? We're going to find out. My three panelists again are Rob Jenkins at SAP. Pat Hickey at Jump Analytics, and David Denboer at Column 5 Consulting. So here's the drill. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know how it works. We'll be right back in 90 seconds. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4 HANA Finance, powered by SAP, is part of SAP S4 HANA, the next generation business suite. 
SAP S4 HANA Finance draws upon innovative, in-memory, mobile, and cloud technologies to deliver one common, secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4 HANA Finance at SAP.com. The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Exactly right. That's where we are, and that's what we're talking about. Special panelists today are Rob Jenkins, CPA, CMA, CFM at SAP. Also speaking with Patrick Hickey at Jump Analytics and David Denboer at Column 5 Consulting. We're talking about all good things in improving your company's financial performance. So let's kick off the roundtable in earnest. As my late mother used to say, she'd say he may be earnest, but is he sincere? We'll leave that one alone. Rob Jenkins told me the following before the show. He says, the future of finance is real time. He calls it, he harks back to a, uh, yes, a song. The times they are a-changing, Bob Dylan. He says, with the evolution of technology, global competition, Regulation and now finance is rethinking why we're still in batch mode. Continuous is the new batch. Rob, take it away. Well, Bonnie, I'll tell you, those of us who have grown up in finance and accounting, we know that uh, our whole worldview, our paradigm was monthly, quarterly, annual cycles, creating a forecast, creating an annual budget. Sometimes an annual budget would take six, seven, eight months to create. And then we would actually go through a monthly close, and you had to do monthly accruals, and you had quarterly reporting and, of course, annual reporting. And we're really entering a new world with technology improvements around things like in-memory computing, database technology have made dramatic leaps and bounds in terms of speed. And so now we're really talking about this concept of continuous accounting. So that means being able to do an instant close and see results at any time during the month. Uh, and in the previous world, we would talk about uh, close in terms of days. And back in the 90s, uh, you know, a 10-day close, a 7-day close, closing the books in three days, two days, what is best practice? With the advancements in technology, you're actually able to do a real-time close and look at the results on the 20th of the month, on the 10th day of the month. So it is a whole new worldview in terms of what technology advancements have truly brought 
to finance and accounting, and it really lets you rethink your whole business model, your whole operating model, not only of finance and accounting, of course, but of the business itself. Thank you very much. Interesting. Rob, quick question before I bring in your co-panelists, Pat and David. Was finance ready for this? Is This sounds like something, well, you're going to do it, and you're going to have to look at this stuff, and it's coming at you very fast, so be prepared. You can't hide for three months. Is this something that finance is ready for? I will tell you this. As, as, you know, we talk to a lot of CFOs and a lot of senior folks in finance and accounting. Uh, you know, the finance and accounting curriculum in colleges and traditionally the career path is not really technology-centric. Mm-hmm. Certainly not around things like in-memory computing and massively parallel processing and database technology, columnar databases, what is an OLAP database. So this, this technology aspect for a lot of finance functions is, in fact, new. But the innovation has been dramatic, uh, and the improvements in speed and cycle time are exponential. So I think for a lot of finance and accounting shops, some are very progressive, of course, uh, but I think some are behind the times and uh, trying to catch up, for sure. Thank you very much. Just wanted to get a reality check on who's doing what in the field. And now let's ask Pat Hickey to chime in. Pat, agree or disagree? Any comments you'd like to add to Rob's statements? Yeah, you bet. Uh, and uh, I think what, what Rob really highlights here is, uh, is actually something very profound in the, uh, in the accounting world. And um, there's really two components of that. I mean, one is, I think as Rob mentioned, that the, the technology itself in the solutions of itself really allow, um, you know, the, the whole accounting function and the consolidation monthly close function to turn from something that's reactive after the fact to something that's proactive where you can see how you're trending in a given month on that closed figure. So, you know, before things are all over and you have a chance to effectively influence or, or, or change the behavior to, to meet what you're doing. And the concept of that is so unbelievably exciting to every CFO that I've, I've spoken with over the last uh, two years. And uh, the challenge of it is, you know, equally technologically speaking, but the real challenge, I think what you pointed out, Bonnie, I think it's going to be getting the, the organization, getting the people thinking along the lines of proactiveness rather than, um, you know, after the fact reactiveness when it comes to uh, the consolidation process. Thank you very much, David Denbor at Column 5. What do you think? You know, I like the idea of improving the speed, but to be honest, I hear CFOs complain about the current systems and process, and their complaint does touch on speed, but really they're missing a huge opportunity if if they do the same thing only faster. What they need to do Mm. is rethink their process. The systems are so smart and can handle so much more detail and faster that it's reasonable to have a system support much more detail and more transparency into the story behind the numbers. So as things are happening, the system's going to explain what is causing the numbers to deviate from expectations and maybe even suggest what to do about the numbers. That's where the new capabilities come in. You can go much further. Continuous close is nice for accountants, and with all due respect, that's, that's needed. And having mm-hmm. things happen in real time is really important, but how do you apply that to really change your company's performance? That's the key. And understanding how you can change your process to get closer to those users so that it's kind of obvious that the system is giving them a couple of choices to make those improvements in real time so that the, the numbers do improve and the results hit the bottom line. That's what needs to be done. 
Thank you, David. Thank you, all three of you. Um, I'm going to go back to Rob and ask if any comments on what your co-panelists shared, and and I'll ask also ask the three of you, where does this come from? This need to change the process, not just wow, look what we've got. It's faster. It's coming at us in real time, but really making something important out of it, using the data, getting value, mining it for its business value. So, does this come from the CFO? Does it come from the shall I say the grassroots in in middle management from the the account? in the basement who may still have the green lamp and the green eye shades. Whose idea is it to change these processes from the bottom of the top? Uh, Rob, let me start with you. Well, you bet. So, you know, a lot of times the CFO is absolutely charged with taking cost out of the business. Now, they also want to be a strategist, of course, and help grow the business. So here we're really talking about, you know, the pressure to drive operating margin. And so, again, iterating through the plan, using technology, using, you know, changes in processes to really think about what is the forecast, how can I update it, you know, daily? How can I plan at the retail uh, store level uh, to optimize the supply chain? I mean, all of the paradigm shifts that come with this idea that I can now iterate through my plan and improve the forecast. You know, uh, Dr. Tetlock talks about in his book, Super Forecasting. There's a very high correlation between the degree to which you update the forecast, the frequency of forecast updating, and the accuracy of the forecast. So certainly CFOs are called upon to drive incremental margin into the business, revenue growth and cost reduction both. Very interesting. And you just dropped a name on us, and I have to see if this is the right one. Philip E. Tetlock, Canadian-American political science writer. Is that the one? Correct. Super forecasting. Great book. There you go. Um, yes. Uh, he was some – let me see quick. A Wikipedia lookup. Forgive me, guys. Uh, currently the Annenberg University professor at the University of Pennsylvania, cross-appointed to the Wharton School and the School of Arts and Sciences, uh, Sciences, written several nonfiction books at the intersection of psychology, political science, and organizational behavior, including super forecasting, the art and science of prediction. Uh, he also wrote a couple of more, and he is the co-principal investigator of the Good Judgment Project. I'll let you all look that up. Very, very interesting. He's a young guy born in 1954. I get to say he's a young guy. Maybe you don't. That's <laughs> your problem. Okay, thank you very much. Um, let, let me continue with that question around the table. Whose job is it to say we need more than fast data? We need to rethink and retool our processes. Pat Hickey? Well, you know... It really becomes, I guess maybe the question isn't whose job is it from that perspective. It's, it comes down to what needs to be done. And, you know, when you look at finance organizations out there, and, you know, in many ways, they're the cobbler's children without shoes when it comes to information. And, you know, I think the reality is that from an analytics perspective, there's been a lot more investment made into some of the operational groups within an organization, you know, things like the supply chain team, the production team. And, and the CFO and the, the Department of Finance has been, um, you know, really reliant upon, you know, delivering that monthly reporting package, and that's their chief and primary function. So, you know, whose job is it? Well, the first one you have to do is you just have to be able to find a way to be relevant, you know, within businesses. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what finance professionals struggle with is, is really being relevant. And, you know, in order to do that, you, of course, need to have the, the, the technology available and the information and the data available. But, you know, more importantly, you need to be able to structure that in a way that you can really evaluate the firm's success and plan and, and direction from a financial perspective. 
And, um, and that's really how you become, you know, I think a true partner to the business and, um, and, and influence some, some change in your business. Pat, I think you are a mind reader. I think you're omniscient because just as you were saying the sentence, the CFOs are often the cobbler's children without shoes, I had just picked that up from your notes and I was just about to hit send on my Twitter feed. And I did, just as you said it. So you are certainly, uh, certainly you read my mind. That's where I wanted to go. David Denbora, column five. Love to get your thoughts on what we're talking about. Whose job is it anyway? Where does this process realignment start? I like what Rob uh, was talking about, but I also like what Pat was talking about with the, the difference between the tools that finance has versus what operations have. Uh, and I think that's very important. They're obviously directly related. Operations drives what finance is looking at, and bringing those two together is really important. And it's important to rethink the role of finance to be a better partner to the business. And to me, that means reaching down into operations, working with those decision makers, and building better tools for them that are connected to the financial analysis tools. Uh, Ideally, this is done in real time. But the interfaces that those users are interacting with have to be so intuitive and so valuable. That, to me, is how they achieve what Pat was talking about, and that is that relevance to the business. I think the financial analyst has a skill set and education to bring to bear to help improve those line managers' decision quality. And and the, the way they do that is via the system. So I would like to see finance work with those line managers to get those requirements out of them, but also help innovate new solutions that give them something more than they can even expect today. Thank you very much. Good around the table there. Pat, I'm looking at your Pat Hickey at Jump Analytics. I'm looking at your notes here. And I have to do a shout-out. Chris Grundy at SAP, who put this show and panel together, is tweeting. Chris, thank you very much. Great insights here. He's capturing all kinds of words of wisdom from the panelists, and hopefully a couple from me if I'm saying anything wise, Chris. So thank you. I see you. We're tweeting at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. You know how to spell that. So, Pat Hickey, I'm looking at your notes here, and let's talk about strategic. You say strategic planning needs strategic technology. Let me read a little because here's where I want to go. You say, to effectively plan and forecast, companies need the combination of one source of data truth. That's what I want to talk about. Plus, a focus on best practices of enterprise financial performance management. So where is that one source of data truth? Pat, tell us more, please. Well, I mean, just to talk about data for for a second, Bonnie, is that, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no shortage of data (laughs) within organizations. Um, you know, many companies have invested tremendously into ERP systems. Um, you know, they, they get uh, info from their plant-level systems. They have retailers sending them POS or um, um, point-of-sale system information. So the, the issue here isn't um, shortage of, of data. Um, the issue is having data in a, in a manner that you can use it effectively and and really, when I talk about kind of one source of, of truth for the data, it means that somewhere somebody has to be, or, or some, the data somewhere the data has to reside where it, it actually is the de facto standard and, and something that can't be manipulated across all of these other you know sources of information that uh, that sit out there. And then the question, once you establish that that data platform, it's really what do you do with it, and how do you use it, and and how do you use it effectively? Which is as much about technology as it is about um, the you know the culture of the organization that you're dealing with. 
Thank you very much. Let's go around to David Denbor at Column 5. David, thoughts on what Pat just shared with us, please? Well, I have to agree that there is too much data, and I think the devil is kind of in the details. It's the way that you build the bridge between operational decisions and really the business outcomes. You talked about linking strategy with this. Obviously, executives have an expectation for what those outcomes are going to be. And the more seamlessly they can build that bridge between day-to-day decisions that managers have to make and the financial outcomes that are produced, that makes a much more effective solution. This has been challenging in the past due to volumes of data and frequency of updates and taxonomies and other challenges to overcome. But the reality is today this is very possible if customers really just have that, that vision to build that connection. That's one of the top reasons that strategies fail is that managers don't understand their contribution to the overall strategy. So if the system is linked, it's kind of inherent in their decision-making. Thank you very much. Let's circle around to Rob Jenkins at SAP. Rob, thoughts, please? Absolutely. We definitely believe in the centricity of, of finance, no doubt. There's been debate for years and years about who will maintain the organization's master data. It goes by the moniker, Bonnie, MDM, Master Data Management. Hmm. Much debate as to who owns master data management in every organization or in any organization. So certainly maintaining the single source of finance truth falls within finance. But, uh, of course, everyone, I think, now at this point believes data is a strategic asset. So whether we're talking about tax management or transfer pricing and regulatory risk or reputational risk, which is in the news, uh, and, of course, uh, we really think about finance being at the center of managing, maintaining the data. You know, big data has these five Vs. I think a lot of folks are familiar with the five Vs of velocity, volume, variety, veracity, and value. Mm-hmm. Say that three times fast. <laughs> uh, but certainly, uh, finance has lived by spreadsheets for many, many years. And a famous study out of the University of Hawaii says that 88% of spreadsheets have errors. So we're really talking oh, no. about the single oh, no. source of truth in finance. Very, very interesting. Thank you. I'm glad we're going in these directions around the, around the circle here. Pat Hickey, this was your topic. Do you want to make any comments on what your co-panelists just shared? Well, I think we've kind of covered off, you know, the, the sort of the main components. I think what, uh, you know, what needs, to, uh, what needs to get shared. And, um, and I think I'll pick up something that, that David um, said, and, and I think he mm-hmm. said it earlier around, around data. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of perspective around um, really businesses being self-serve now when it comes to how they use that data. And, um, and, and, I, and I think the, the one area that I would sort of add to that, it's, it's really the empowerment of the business that's needed. Um, you know, once that data is there and that single source of truth, to be able to own their destiny in terms of what they end up doing with it so that, you know, they can apply it in the most effective, you know, manner for, for, their, for their business or their departments. Thank you very much. David Denboer, I'm looking at your notes. We've covered a lot of territory here, uh, and I do want to make sure we cover specifically the title of this episode. I can pose that to you, David, or I can pick up one of your comments. Let me just remind everybody our topic is Visualization, BI, and Advanced Analytics, Improving Enterprise Financial Performance. I think we've got it in there somewhere, but I don't know if we've specifically covered those. David, you want to tackle visual Visualization, BI, 
and advanced analytics for us, or shall I go to one of the topics you sent me? I'll leave it up to you. Oh, I'd, I'd be happy to take it on. <clears throat> Thank so you. So from a visualization perspective, there are a lot of new interfaces that are, are very seamless for users to interact with. There's been a lot of technology that users have been exposed to via smartphones, even video games. Uh, they interact with that for, for information and for entertainment purposes. And expectations on how the user interface ought to look have really gained a lot of momentum. I uh, don't think many users these days tolerate uh, strictly Excel-looking grids and the old uh, green screen, that kind of thing. They're, they're kind of punchlines now. But rather, they would prefer a, a very interactive experience that is very responsive to uh, turning knobs and changing dials and getting a responsive interface with, with graphs changing and being able to do some simulations and, and reporting and drilling down. Uh, very dynamic content is the norm and a very pleasing interface as well, not something that is uh, very grid-like. Colors, graphs, charts things that change, it's, it's important to see that. And, and the goal of that is to spur that action as intuitively as possible. Uh, we don't want the business decision maker to pour through page after page of rows of numbers and spot the needle in the haystack. We want the system to call their attention to it with a red light that's maybe flashing and says, here's the variance that requires your attention immediately. Obviously, a more effective visualization drives more effective behaviors in the user. Uh, also makes the user more pleased to use the solutions. We really want to have that effect instead of having them be allergic to it or suffer with the solution. Uh, and then business intelligence is really all the data that's underneath it and being served up to the user via this advanced uh, visualization experience is going to produce much better results. And the analytics underneath it, the development of those models that we talked about in the beginning and the metrics that really do bridge the gap between strategic intent of an organization and the decisions that are made at the lowest level, the quality of those models and the insights that they produce, that's what really creates the results that customers are seeking. So this is a, a much more comprehensive solution. It's not the kind of point solution where you can in isolation by one interface and just go with that and say, well, I'm good. I've, I've got one interface. You really have to rethink the entire experience with data quality, models, and the visualization. Thank you. Very interesting insights. Glad we covered that. Let's keep on this visualization theme so we can satisfy the title of this episode. I'm circling around to Rob Jenkins. Rob, talk to me. Visualization. Absolutely. So uh, David said it exactly right, Bonnie. It's, uh, you know, it's really about generational. It's the digital natives. It's millennials. It's Gen Z. Uh, you'll notice there's no uh, print buttons on a lot of the websites that they, and that mm. they visit. They're, you know, of course, the new, the new worldview is uh, you know, everything should be beautiful and really, truly, even in the business and corporate context, look like Instagram uh, or Snap or Facebook. And so it's got to be visual. It's got to be beautiful. And so what is this notion of analytics if you don't have a degree in statistics? What, is, what does that mean? It's certainly business intelligence, so it's, it's visualization. But it's also some sort of predictive analytics, maybe machine learning. So Gartner is combining those two now. They call it PAML, PAML, let's call it. So analytics is BI, it's predictive, and it's also planning. What is the future? 
So that's sort of analytics, but clearly visualization is key to understanding uh, what is the as is and what could be the future as I, you know, manipulate and uh, change my models, but it has to be visual. We're living in that age. We certainly are. Very interesting. Thank you. Um, that was Rob. Let's go to Pat Hickey. Pat, let's talk about what we're, we're on now. Visualization, BI analytics. What about the technology being able to pull out, call attention, do highlight, spotlight, so that nobody can say, I didn't see the variance. How's that working for you? Talk to me. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to share with you a, a, a little bit of a reality check around that as in, in terms of where most companies are today, which is a little different than... Um, you know, I think how, how David and, and Robert are describing, and I think what they're describing is really, you know, what companies should be doing. But the reality is that, you know, most companies today still are, are pretty antiquated when it comes to how they, how they gather and how they get dealt with information. And I tell you, there's still organizations that I go out and visit that, um, you know, their idea of, of uh, information business intelligence is sending a request to their IT department for a new report. And, and followed by, you know, various eye rolls and, and IT professionals making fun of the business. Uh, and, you know, and finally, you know, by delivering, putting in the queue and delivering that report six months, uh, six months later. And it's a big sea chain that organizations still need to make to get to where, you know, data visualization, to have that millennial experience and sitting on your couch and, and basically transacting with your iPhone to do pretty much everything you want. It's still, it's still going to be, I think, a, a, an evolution to be able to, to get there to that end state for a lot of organizations. And, and in many ways, it's just about starting and moving into that direction so that you can you know, participate from the benefits of, of beautiful data visualization um, and, a, you know, and, a, and, a, and a great access to the data and decisions you need to run your company. And, Pat, that brings back the quote you selected for us on Mr. Vavrinka's arm, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better, right? Just keep on moving forward. There you go. David Denbor at Column 5, this was your, you started off the conversation. we got about five minutes till we go to the crystal ball predictions round. David, anything you'd like to add? You know, I, I have to agree with what Pat said, that, yes, most customers are, back in the dark ages, so to speak, of analytics. Uh, They're emailing spreadsheets around. They've got very lifeless, non-dynamic BI interfaces. And that's kind of the starting point where they're at. Uh, They have trouble seeing the huge leaps forward that they could make by adopting new tools and better models. So that's where we come in, help them understand the value of the solutions, maybe expose them to some of those. And you can see in the space of one conversation, once they see a better interface, and see what's possible, they immediately change their expectations and say, yes, that's, that's what I need, that's what I want, and the requirements change in, in less than an hour. Uh, it, it can happen very fast. We've got a number of organizations that we work with that maybe start off, we talk about our vision for the future, and they say, oh, maybe in the next decade, but after talking with them for a little bit, uh, they find out that 90 days later, that is the requirement, and they want to move a lot faster. And the technology exists to make that happen. So it's an exciting time. 
Thank you. And and you brought me to something I want to touch upon before we go to our predictions in about three minutes, David. I'm looking at your notes and you say a key element overlooked in these transformative initiatives is the people aspect of the challenge. Often we're talking about automating the jobs of analysts and you add a polished data production process should require very little touching. So let's give a little assurance that the jobs are still going to be out there. David, you want to tackle this for me, please? Sure, this pleads a little bit into my crystal ball, but you have to reinvent yourself as a finance person. If your career is based on cutting and pacing and distributing those reports via brute force, uh, that job's probably not going to be there in the next five years. You're going to have a much more sophisticated solution to create reports, gather the data, polish the numbers, and present those. So you're going to have to look elsewhere. You're going to have to reinvent yourself. You're going to have to come up with other ways to add value. And I think that is really producing the models and the visualization and getting closer to those decision makers uh, to have the longevity in this role. That's uh, handwriting on the wall. Well, I'll come back to you. We still might want another bona fide prediction from you. So keep that thought in mind. Thank you, David. Let's go around the table without calling it a prediction. Rob Jenkins, what do you think about that reinvention requirement, the mandate, the mantra for anybody in the finance field if you're still working with XLSX and you're still cutting and pasting? Absolutely critical to move up the uh, analytical uh, food chain. No doubt about it. We have a customer that has uh, automated 95% of their 3 million annual invoice payments. Robotic process automation. Uh, Bonnie, that is the term that is exciting for some and scary for many. But RPA in finance and accounting will enable much automation and uh, arguably uh, the extinction of uh, many accounting jobs with their task-oriented. So it's time to move up, no doubt, the analytical uh, food chain for sure. Very well put. Thank you very much. Pat Hickey, love to get your thoughts on this, the reinvention of the skill set, of the job, of the mindset. What do you think, Pat? Well, uh, 100%, I agree with these individuals. It, it needs to happen to be, to be relevant. Uh, they need to, to update the skills. They need to invest in, in understanding truly how business intelligence works. But there's another component of it, too, that I think needs to be considered in the mix. And, and companies need to organize themselves around a culture of sharing information. And, um, and whether this is through, you know, setting up competency centers uh, within the business itself, um, or incenting um, the share of information across departmental lines um, that you know you have to also consider how the organization is set up in order to achieve that you know culture of sharing because through the dawn of time you know hoarding of information has been a, a valuable thing and uh, and that's new, it's new times right now. It definitely is new times right now, and now we are officially in the crystal ball predictions round. So I'm going to ask you all to focus on, let's take a peek at 2020. You can tell me uh, which side of that milestone, and, and those of you, I think you're all three based in the U.S., I never will get it out of my head hearing Barbara Walters say for years, 2020, I'm sorry, just still rings there somewhere. Got to get that rid of that. I'll have to see an exorcist at some point. Rob Jenkins, take a look at the crystal ball from your vantage point and your vast experience. What do you think will change dramatically? Will, let's say, for example, in 2020, will we still be talking about the words advanced analytics, BI, visualization, or will there be so much ingrained in the fabric of finance that people say, well, what are you talking about? We've been doing that for 
three years now, five years now. Tell me something I don't know. So I'll let you do your prediction. Rob Jenkins, 60 seconds, all yours. Yes, Bonnie, uh, analytics will be embedded in business processes, no doubt about it for sure. And uh, so I'm going to say my prediction is rise of the machines. So just like in investment management, just like in cars, just like in manufacturing, in finance and accounting, it's going to be highly, highly automated with uh, a few internal auditors and a few finance quants uh, watching the machines, watching the bots, uh, mitigating the risk. Uh, the controllers will ensure compliance, uh, and the financial analytics team will uh, help create and predict the future. But a degree of automation is coming to finance and accounting operations, uh, just like it's come to other industries, and it's going to be transformational, no doubt about it. Wow. There, there's, uh, yeah, very interesting. Thank you. I hope everybody listening takes you very, very seriously, Mr. Rob Jenkins. And now, Patrick Hickey at Jump Analytics, I can give you a whole, wow, you get 90 seconds because Rob was so brief. Go ahead, Pat. Take them all. <laughs> okay, super. Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, crystal ball prediction for 2020, and it's actually scary because 2020 isn't that far away when you think about I know. it. Um, and I, I really think it's going to be the mainstream adoption of predictive analytics into the planning cycle. And uh, in many ways, predictive has been around for a while. Uh, but it's really only the leading-edge firms that have incorporated it into the planning cycle. And, and the truth is most firms are still dependent upon manual input from us biased human beings uh, to put information in to support the whole planning and forecasting uh, processes. And, and I think we're on the verge of seeing the tipping point happen. And I think most companies by 2020 will be using data to produce fundamentally more accurate and more efficient planning cycles and forecasting cycles to drive decision-making around their businesses. Very interesting. We've got another really solid prediction there. Mainstream adoption of predictive analytics in the CFO planning cycle. I like that one. Did I get that right, Pat? That's correct. Bang on. Okay, thank you very much. Bang. Oh, I like that. Okay. <laughs> All right, got to get it down to 140. I hear that Twitter is contemplating extending to 180, but who needs an extra 40 characters? Come on. We've already butchered the English language enough and know how to talk. Some people do it in the middle of the night. What can I tell you? And David Denboer at column five, I can give you 90 seconds. I really want you to use them because they were really, really tight on their predictions. So, David, take it away. Great. Well, I have to agree that with both these gentlemen that there definitely will be more automation, and I think advanced analytics like predictive will become more mainstream. That's inevitable. But I think one big change that's coming to the market, hopefully over the next three years, is the same effect that happened with ERP, with benchmarking and standard processes being defined like order to cash and others. That level of clarity is going to start to come to the analytics space. Uh, today, much of the analytic solutions that are, that are developed and implemented for customers are custom-built, and I think there will be off-the-shelf, pre-configured relationships between BI and enterprise data warehouses and even predictive analytics that CFOs can shop for and compare and buy off the shelf. They can uh, do it and benchmark their results from an analytics process perspective against their competitors and their peers and they can tout improvements that they're making to their operations and their financial processes uh, by using those comparisons. That's something that SAP, for example, has done with ERP and their value engineering group. I think the similar transformation is going to happen 
where these metrics are published and available for uh, the organizations to compare how well they're doing with analytics. Thank you very much. Let me make sure I get this right for my tweet. You're predicting by 2020 off-the-shelf pre-configured relationships with BI for the CFO to shop. Is that it? Right. Solutions that you can buy that have those built in uh, rather than rather than custom building them as they have to do today. Okay. Very, very good. Thank you very much. I think I was able to tweet all of that accurately. I certainly hope so. And we have, of course, Chris Grundy at SAP doing the retweets, and I'm retweeting what he's tweeting, and we're out just having a good Twitter party here. We're just about out of time, and I want to say thank you so much to my three very smart, very insightful panelists, Rob Jenkins. Such a pleasure to reconnect with you. Patrick Hickey, nice to make your acquaintance. Hope you'll come back. The same for David Denbor. You are all wonderful. I promised I'd tell you that, but I didn't say only if it's true and now it's true so thank you very much appreciate all your insights and the reality checks on what's happening in the world of financial performance heads up to CFOs the future is coming right around the corner 2020 is only three New Year's Eves away aha so I have my call to action a quick shout out of course to Chris Grundy and Pras Chatterjee at SAP both for assembling this episode and to Kevin G my engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio thank you all for making this happen so here's my call to action and at last, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like David Bendor. I'm cha- Denbor. I'm changing the uh, order here. Just like Patrick Hickey at Jump Analytics and just like Rob Jenkins at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for today. I'll be back tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern here on the Business Channel. It's Wednesday tomorrow. It must be time for Coffee Break with Game Changers. Have a great one. Bye-bye. <music> Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO. And join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel. Wishing you a game-changing week.